Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. The reasons I was staying in law school were not good reasons. I did not love the reasons I was doing this all day long. So ultimately, I decided to quit and actually go do something with my life that was fulfilling and didn't feel stressful all the time. It made me feel free instead. And I think a new coach has to really learn to be right there in the moment with those people and be empathetic, but also still keep the coaching hat on. And then with that comes the ability to listen to what they're saying and really important, listen to what they're not saying. I've taken this approach that if you're not in alignment with your heart, your values, which you find emotionally important, yeah, you might see a certain level of success, but it might be at the cost of fulfillment, fulfillment, fulfillment. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year, we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Chris Goodman. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at Goodman Coaching. Who is Chris? Chris quit law school and a job in corporate litigation to find what was missing in life. Passion, profit, and freedom. Real estate looked fun, so he picked up a license and quickly became one of the top buyer's agents in the country. He earned Rookie of the Year, helped build a million-dollar team, and coached three more agents to become Rookies of the Year. Coaching was always the magical secret sauce, so in 2017, he took his passion for coaching into his own business. And today, Chris is an entrepreneur, consultant, and a coach for business owners of all kinds who want to become their best. He specializes in leadership, sales training, team building, mindset coaching, and creating a life and business that offers true freedom. Okay, look, he's the real deal when it comes to coaching. I have had many interviews with coaches. There's a lot of people who want to be coaches. He is a real coach, like a real coach. 
he will have you in the fetal position if you're willing to go there as he did me by asking you questions that nobody has ever asked you because he listens intensely. Is it intently or intensely? I never know, but he does both. And it's in those asking of the right questions, applying leverage right where it needs to be applied, he allows you to make an answer that allows you to make a change. He's one of the best coaches that I know, and I really think you're gonna get a lot out of this interview. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation I had with Chris Goodman. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. You know what, man? Uh, no more excited than me because um, you are my new bestie coach and you have taught me so freaking much that I was like, dude, we've got to get you on the podcast because you just have a very refreshing way of looking at life and coaching, uh, et cetera. So I want to share that with the audience. And I think that there's a lot of lessons that we're going to learn today. So I'm really excited. Perfect. Me too. So uh, the show is going to have three parts. First, we're going to talk about the science of achievement. And for you, that's going to be about your world of coaching. And then we're going to talk about the art of fulfillment and maybe some things that you're doing in your life these days. I know there's been a lot of changes for you in the area of fulfillment. And then we're going to wrap with some rapid fire questions. Cool? Perfect. Okay. So I think a good starting off point would be to take you back to Southern Indiana, but before we do, I want to point out that I started college the year you were born, which <laughs> pisses me off. With age comes wisdom, right? <laughs> Thank you. And gray hair. What do you love and hate about living in Indiana when you did? You know, there, there's a lot to love about growing up in a small town. I, I grew up on 80 acres of woods out in the middle of nowhere. And, and I know a lot of people say that. I mean, we really like our closest neighbors were about a half mile to a mile away on each side. So I grew up in this park-like setting, which was peaceful and quiet. And for a kid, you know, it's like a playground. Everything is, is uh, fun. And when I had friends over, they were like, I can't believe you live here. You know, it's so amazing. Well, you know, it also got kind of boring sometimes. So Southern Indiana has this Southern charm, this small town appeal. Everybody knows everybody. And at a certain point, opportunity starts to get a little smaller, I think, compared to some of these bigger cities, right? So what I loved about it was the, the familiar, you know, warm, friendly feel of it all the time. I wouldn't say I hated certain aspects of it. What, what I outgrew, though, was the small town, southern charm feel, right? <laughs> so I started to, to be drawn toward bigger towns like Louisville was, is 30 minutes away from where I grew up. And um, that's where I kind of anchored down for a long time. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but now living in the LA area, life looks a whole lot different. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You know, it's, it's hard for me to, when people sort of like, you know, we all, we all think that everybody, you know, comes from the same sort of place. And so, you know, people will say to me, you know what it's like living in a small town. You know how everybody knows everybody. I'm like, no, I grew up in New York. There were 14 million people in my county. I have no idea what it's like it's to live in a small to town. to me, right? There were 100 or so people in my, my graduating high school class, if that brings it down to size. I had 100 <laughs> people in my building. 
Amazing. Okay, so let's fast forward to you entering law school. Why do you think you wanted to be a lawyer? And what was the triggering event that made you say, I don't want to be a lawyer? Good questions. Uh, there, there was a lot of reasons for me to go. I wanted to be the first person in my family to have a professional degree, you know, to get a, a doctorate of some kind. And I, for a long time, uh, people told me, you're so argumentative. You're so curious. You, you love to learn. You love to read. You love to write. You really need to go be an attorney. So that's, that's the reason I got into the legal field in the first place. A lot of people tell me that's what you should do. And it seemed like a good opportunity, right, to be able to you know, people tease lawyers that they have the keys to the kingdom. They write legislation, they write the laws. So it sounded like fun. It sounded kind of like a power trip in the background. But what I really was drawn to was the intrinsic skill that I saw lawyers have. They were so sharp and so smart and could outthink or outmaneuver anybody. And, and I just wanted to be like that, I think, anyway. So that's why I got into the legal field. And then your, your next question was, what prompted me to get out of it? Is that right? That's right. Yeah, so... I, this is a funny story. I tell that two squirrels convinced me to get out of law school. <laughs> two squirrels. Two squirrels. So You I was, really are from a small town. No kidding, right? So I'm sitting in my house studying contract law, this 800-page, ridiculously thick, dense contract law. You can imagine how much fun that was. And you know, I'm pouring over this book and I'm stressed because I was still working at the firm part-time and going to school. And uh, I had my back door open to my backyard and these two squirrels were running around while I'm trying to study, making all this noise, rustling all the leaves and doing what squirrels do. And I got so pissed that they distracted me from my contract law that I got up and I threw the back door open and screamed at them. I don't even remember what I yelled. But it was one of those reckoning moments of, really, dude, you're yelling at squirrels? Like, this is what you're stressed about? Like, come on. And it just kind of washed over me that if I got hit by a bus and died that night or the next day, that that would be one of the acts that I, I finished my life with yelling at squirrels because I was that stressed out. <laughs> and I was cracking up to myself thinking, these are signs, brother, you need to listen to them. So no, I started I wanna... paying... Go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. I'm sorry. So I was just going to say, I started paying attention to how much stress I was experiencing from moment to moment. And... Um, realized that the reasons I was staying in law school were not good reasons. I did not love the reasons I was doing this all day long. So ultimately, I decided to quit and actually go do something with my life that was fulfilling and didn't feel stressful all the time. It made me feel free instead. So I want to point something out to people that are listening that are either at the beginning of their career or maybe they're looking at a second career. Both you and I share something in common in that, you know, we had all these shoulds, right? Tony Robbins talks about you should all over yourself, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, you should be a lawyer because of X, Y, and Z that you just mentioned. I should be a doctor because of X, Y, and Z that I've mentioned before. And yet we both went into, uh, we, you didn't officially finish, but we both, you know, sort of stepped into that world for all the wrong reasons. So mm -hmm. what advice would you give to people, you know, like I've got a daughter now that, you know, is 20 and she, I can hear it when I have these conversations with her. She's 21, actually. I can hear it when I have these conversations with her. And, you know, 
it's all about logic. If I get into, if I get this degree and I get this job, then I'll have this career and I'll make this much money and I'll have 2.3 kids and I'll have this house. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but there's, yeah. but there's no, there's no weight that is put into Two things. One, would I really love to do this? And two is what is the day-to-day of this job really fucking like? Do you know what I mean? Like, what is it really, really like? So how would you help somebody who's in that situation? Oh, there's so many different directions to run. And, and it's, it's fun to customize it based on their story and their goals. But I think the blanket thing that is true for everybody is that decisions get dangerous when they come from your head and not from your heart. And the people that I've been fortunate enough to spend time around who are thriving in their life and business have learned to make decisions from their heart instead. And I think when we're young, especially, we, we want to do the right thing. We, we want to please people. We want to do the smart thing and follow what everybody tells us is a great idea, which is usually what? Go get some kind of degree, then finish up and get another degree. And if you're really smart, you'll get another degree. <laughs> and... Instead, I think there is this intuition that fires up. And, you know, you and I were fortunate enough to listen to Preston Smiles talk about this, how there are usually three different voices that we experience these moments in where the first voice is some kind of higher power, God's voice, the universe's voice, intuition. And it, it's whispering saying, you really want to do this. Or if you're fortunate, sometimes it's you really don't want to do this. And we tend to ignore that first voice and goes right into this next voice of rationalizing it. Well, what I really want to do is, you know, yeah, I might want to do this thing, but what I feel compelled to do, what I think is the smarter choice is this, and we start rationalizing. And I love how I said this. And then the third voice is fear. And this is where most people get off the rails, right? Well, I can't go be an artist because I won't make any money and I'm afraid that I'll fail out of life. <laughs> I can't quit law school because if I do, everybody will think I'm an idiot. And we get scared and then we start making decisions from fear and it all collapses like a house of cards. So if I could do anything to to intervene there and jump in between somebody and their shoulds, it would be listen to that first voice a whole lot more and spend time thinking about what you actually feel like you want. It's great advice. You know, I just did an interview with somebody else that we know, Lariah, who works with the homeless in uh, on Skid Row in Los Angeles. And the theme of the interview with her was exactly what you just described, which is her life changed when she started stepping into her heart and not going into her head, which kind of screws me up a little bit, if I'm honest, because... <laughs> I, and, and because, you know, of the nature of what you do, I'm going to use this interview as a therapy session, but Perfect. <laughs> the, you got three, you got three things, right? You got your head, your heart, and your gut. And I get very confused about which one to listen to because they don't all guide the same way, um, or have the same answers. One and two is, I've read some of the research that the HeartMath Institute have done, has done about the power of your heart. So maybe you can kind of speak to that general, you know, those, those general thoughts. Well, before I go down a rabbit hole, let's be a little more specific. What, what are we addressing? In general, when we're thinking about whether it is a career, a relationship, 
what to do you know, next with our lives, what to do with our relationships. We get different inputs that come into us. Some of them are just, let's make a logical decision. Some of them are go with your heart. Some of them is, what does your gut tell you? So with those three areas, if you had to pick one to listen to, which one do you listen to or do you not think about it that way? I don't, I tend to ignore my gut, I guess, because I, I've learned to lean into that intuition. So I think that comes from your heart. And, and you mentioned Tony Robbins earlier, right? Kind of the master of keying into emotion as the driver for decisions. We can, we can think logically all day long, but ultimately what's going to make us act is some sort of emotion, some sort of sense of pain if I do this or pleasure if I do that, Right. And we're always going to make those decisions leaning away from pain and toward that pleasure. And if you're in the coaching space, you've heard that a billion times. If you're not in that coaching space and you're, you know, you're listening to this podcast as maybe somebody in business who doesn't have a lot of experience in mindset coaching or what we're talking about, I think that's crucial because you, your heart tends to ignore the logic of it, right? And says, this is what you really want. The collateral damage is, is what it is. But if you really want this, nothing else matters. And I, I use the example a lot of people who are married on their first date. On their first date, they're not, they're not necessarily thinking about the logic of this, right? It's just all kinds of emotion, possibility, curiosity, romance, and intrigue, and it's just electric, right? And they're not thinking about, okay, on our next date, we're going to go here. And on our third date, we're going to go here. And by our 10th date, we're going to know if we're serious. And by our 20th date, I can, you know, but they're not planning all that out, right? They're just in the moment feeling that electricity. And these sound like bullshit soft skills to a lot of business owners. Like we sound so tangential and vague right now, but honestly, the, the most successful business owners I've ever coached have learned how to connect and dial in their heart to their decisions in their business, because that's what fires them up. That's what really gives them energy, right? A logical decision might make them an extra million dollars that year. That's fine but it won't be as much fun as one that sets their heart on fire. Just taking all that in for a second, because I'm realizing for myself that it's actually, I'm having an aha right now because in my, you know, romantic life, listen, I'm a married man for 15 years now. So, you know, it's not like I'm out there dating, but in, in the world of relationships, I can, completely see what you're talking about because that's definitely how I navigated that. But in the world of business, that isn't the way I navigated it. I sat down and really, really tried to get super analytical about it. And um, I think that actually in many ways shot me in the foot. So are you sort of describing or ascribing that we should consider looking at business intuitively and not just sort of like, you know, very academically or very digitally or very, you know, linearly, you know what I mean? You know, it sounds so weird, but that's exactly what I'm saying. It's really interesting. Did you, did you struggle with that? Was there a time in your life where you didn't do that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's probably how I learned it, right? I spent five years in corporate litigation. I mean, my, my days were for the first two, two and a half years, um, bouncing around from courthouse to courthouse in Kentucky, doing research to basically disprove a plaintiff's case against one of our clients. 
So, you know, just lots of dirty work, lots of research and technical stuff on the legal side. And it was all logic, right? Then I got a promotion and started to, to dig in to even more technical stuff. And I was in charge of what they call electronic discovery, which is, you know, when, when so-and-so sues Corporation X, Corporation X has to collect every email and every piece of paper that ever involved anything in that case. And I was in charge of that. And it got even more kind of overwhelming on the technical side. So I, I turned into this sort of logical animal where everything was kind of black and white. And if you've ever met a litigator, they tend to you know lean that way to be very black and white. And it's, it's almost like the environment consumed me and started to take my heart out of things. And, you know, started to sterilize the emotion that I experienced in, in life too. And I became this kind of right-brained animal. And that's not where the fun is, <laughs> right? Like nobody celebrates a, a Christmas morning or a birthday in a logical manner, right? <laughs> like it's, it, so I started to feel that and realize like, man, I really, if I'm going to have a very full, deep, meaningful, free, happy life, it can't just be about the logic. And my supervisor at the time, if she listens to this, she'll crack up. She called me Luke Skywalker because she's like, you're the different one in this group. You're the one who is actually heart-centered and you could turn this whole thing around. You could save everything. <laughs> so I started to, to kind of pay attention to where my heart was taking me, which was right out of the law. It was not filling me up or as people say, it was not filling my cup. I was going to say, so that was around 2013. Is that right? That was, yes. I started law school in 2011. By 2012, realized that law school wasn't right. And by the middle of 2012, started getting my real estate license, I think, or something like it. Well, you did really well in that world. You sold 115 homes, $20 million in real estate. To what do you attribute that level of success so fast and so young? The first and most important thing is the team that I was fortunate enough to serve with and my partner and the whole fun of it. You know, no man is an island. The only reason I was able to sell that many houses was because I had an immensely talented team at my back the whole time. And, you know, while I sold 115 houses in that time, I think they sold something like 400, um, if not more. So, the the numbers are not impressive. What, what's impressive about it was that we had a team that worked that well together and that we were all driven by the same things, motivated by the same things. And, and I think this is in the same vein that we're talking about serving from our heart. This is why it worked. We serve from our heart. We showed up to really help these people. And that's why I've taken this approach that if you're not in alignment with your heart, your values, which you find emotionally important, yeah, you might see a certain level of success, but it might be at the cost of fulfillment. And mm. you know, this team really helped me realize there's so much more to business than just turning deals and turning dollars. You know, I was in the personal growth and coaching space before I even got into the legal field and then kind of got out of it for a while in the legal field and got back into it in real estate, got into coaching and then started coaching and training our team and you know new agents that came on the team. And that's how it all kind of snowballed into this coaching business. But ultimately, it was the, you know, we hear the term servant leader or heart-centered leader. I mean, that's exactly who I was with all day long. And that's what helped shape me. 
Okay, so in 2017, you decided that you were going to go all in on coaching officially. That's right. How would you describe what a coach does? I know you and I have had some conversations offline about this and it gets a little muddy, but how would you personally describe what a coach does? Oh man, that's such a good question. So I think in English, the term coach is completely inadequate. Because I've been on a plane and I've just, in my world, said, I'm a coach. And I knew exactly what I meant. And the other person heard, I'm a basketball coach or a baseball coach. They're like, oh, you're kind of a short dude. What do you coach? (laughs) And so I started telling people I'm a mindset coach because that seemed to be a little more adequate. And that that actually confused people even worse. So here's the way I break it out now. A coach can mean many things. But to me, in my line of work anyway, particularly... A coach is somebody who draws out answers from the person we're working with. We're not necessarily giving advice. We're not necessarily mentoring them. We're not exactly teaching them. We're actually drawing this out in a way of self-discovery. So this is sort of the, the ancient you know, form of coaching, like the Eastern form of like spiritual coaching almost. And nowadays, it's, it's thrown around very loosely and a coach might be a mentor or a consultant or a teacher or a, somebody who's teaching a seminar for a half an hour might be called a coach. So just to kind of button it up, right? My line of coaching is not so much about what I know. It's about what I draw out of the other person and how I engage them and make them feel like they need to go tackle this thing right now to hit their goals. And other coaches might lean more into the mentoring role, which is totally fine. I think it's just a matter of call a spade a spade. If if you're going to mentor people, say it's coaching with a side of mentorship or something. Does that answer the question adequately? It does answer the question. And that is exactly you. I feel like Woody Allen, uh, when I talk to you sometimes, and I feel like I'm like <laughs> lying on the therapist couch because it's, uh, it's a little, um, you know, when you, when you got your, when you have your coaching hat on, it, there's a, there's a very different cadence to the conversation. And the cadence is really questions that are followed by me squeezing my asshole a little too tight (laughs) um, and not knowing how to answer it and then getting the next question and starting to sweat a little bit in my palms. And it's a really weird way of communicating, if I'm honest. But in the end, the decision that I make is never coming from you. It's always coming from me. And it strangely and remarkably feels like it's exactly the right thing to do. And I suppose it's because it's coming from my higher self. God, I love that. Thank you so much. That is what fills me up and what I love to do because... Was it the asshole part that got you? It actually wasn't, surprisingly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, this is the fun part of that type of coaching, right? Like it, and I think we've joked about that. It has, has almost nothing to do with what I know. It just has to do with what you discover in that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So let's let's dig into coaching a little bit because there's there are a few coaches I'm sure that are listening to this podcast. What, in your opinion, are the key ingredients to becoming a good coach, other than being a good listener? 
There's so many that that fled to my mind. Uh, the first Give me two thing, or three. I, yeah, I know there's a thousand, but just yeah, two or yeah, three. The, that the first thing that level. comes to my my mind is you've got to get out of the way. You've got to be able to learn how to create space in between you and that person and what we're talking about. So there's a when I'm I'm teaching new coaches, which is always so fun to do, but this always comes up. They they they're so excited and so eager, and they want to jump in and solve every problem immediately, and they just talk the person's head off. And I'm like, guys, there's a quote from Rumi that I want you to memorize. And he said, out beyond right doing and wrongdoing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. And that's where we want to take clients, right? Is this space beyond, here's what I think you need to do in this space beyond. I'm so stuck. I have no idea what to do. Just tell me what to do to fix my problem right now and just solve it for me. We want to take it all beyond that into this kind of neutral third field. And if you're in a relationship, by the way, this is where you want to take every argument. <laughs> well, speak to that a little bit because there's a lot of people with shitty relationships listening. So go fair, ahead. Totally fair. Um, so it, my fiance and I were both life and business coaches. So you can only imagine how much coaching is going on in our household on any given day. And, um, you know, when inevitably some sort of frustration or argument pops up, like we'll even joke, we'll be like, we're not on the third field because you can bring so much passion and energy about why your story and your version is right to that argument. And the other person's going to match it immediately, right? With that much fire too. So to diffuse the entire situation, especially if you're a coach, you have a responsibility to put it in neutral because it's really hard to engage your brain and create something to, to make a decision from a new place if you're so fired up, you can't even think about that new place. Does that make sense? Kind of. So but let maybe me, you can come at it from yeah. Let way. me see if I can make it a little more uh, accessible. You know, the the new coach wants to get in there and say, "Here's what I think you got to do. You got to do X, Y, and Z," and and just overwhelms the client with options and peppers them with too much uh, instead okay. of slowing down. And creating the space, what I mean is opening the door and letting that person walk into it. So an example would be, you know, a new client comes to me and they're like, I'm so burned out. I'm so frustrated in my business. I'm working 80 hours a week and I've got no bandwidth left. I go home and my kids want to play and I just want to sleep and I'm fucking tired of it. I have no idea what to do. I could easily jump in and be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up a new business plan that involves hiring five more people. We're going to talk about profitability and look at that, blah, 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 blah. Instead of going the other way and saying, well, what do you want to do? And shutting up. So new coaches have a real hard time keeping their mouth shut. <laughs> right? You know, frankly, I think new anything has a hard time keeping their mouth shut. I can remember as a as a chiropractor, like, you know, the person would come in with back pain and I'd give them the history of anatomy and physiology. Do you know what I mean? And towards the end of my career, I was like, I, I really, I have very little time, just lie on the table and let me fix your problem. Do you know what I mean? And right. so there, you're right, that comes with that comes with uh, with skills for sure. I mean, with uh, with time for sure. It does for sure, and it comes with the, you know, when you meet somebody whose feet are firmly on the ground, and and you just know they're confident in what they do. I think a new coach is is setting out to kind of prove that you know I got to show you what I'm all about. I got to prove my worth here in 30 minutes, or else you're going to fire me, and I'm going to lose my all my income. 
Yeah, I think I think you're right. What would you say, you know, other than than talking too much and wanting to put somebody, you know, wanting to tell people what to do, what are the most common other rookie mistakes that new coaches make? I think there the two things that come straight to mind are being present, meaning not thinking about what you're going to say next and not thinking about the past of of you know trying to necessarily diagnose somebody because I want to be clear I, I'm not a psychologist or um, psychiatrist and by trade I am you know more more lawyer than therapist and I've learned to listen and not project myself into the future you know so in other words not just waiting for my turn to talk so I think presence and, and really learning how to be in that moment with that person and like we learned the other night, not to judge that moment, how to look at your thoughts and not judge them and look at the circumstance or the, the, the problem they're experiencing and not judge that as well. So presence is a, a practice, right? And I think a new coach has to really learn to be right there in the moment with those people and be empathetic, but also still keep the coaching hat on. And then with that comes the ability to listen to what they're saying and really importantly, listen to what they're not saying, right? That is really interesting. So you're saying that be in the moment with them. Don't be thinking about what you want to say next. And by being in the moment with them, what you're really saying is empathetically be there with them. So feel what they're feeling. That's right. Is that right? And yes. And to an extent, not to get wrapped up in their story, right? Not to, and for anybody who's listening that doesn't hear that term a lot, a story in our world is like an excuse, right? Like client might come to the table with, I know I was supposed to do this thing I committed to, but I got really busy and I got 57 emails and the kids had, you know, practice and I had to take them. So, you know, I'm sorry I didn't get that done. The coach's role there is, sounds kind of mean, but not to buy that story. Because as soon as we do, we take all their power away. So we can sit there in that moment with them and not judge it and say, well, you did it or you didn't. And in this case, you did not. And there's no judgment on that, but we really need to look at why you did not do that. Because that's why you need coaching. Because that's what's keeping you from your goals. And see, they didn't say any of that, right? That's what I mean by listening to what they're saying and what they're not saying. So to, to jump in there, and this is, you know, I, I love it when people call it a tap dance because it is an art a little bit. We're not judging them. We're listening to what they're saying, what they're not saying. We're calling out their bullshit and saying, like, look, this is, this is what it is and why you hired me. Is it okay if we cast this out into the light so we can deal with it? And then, like I said, at the same time, keeping it in neutral so that person doesn't feel defensive. And so to answer your question earlier about what does a new coach need to do or what's something that a common mistake, they don't get permission, right? So in other words, if I were going to call that person out about not hitting their goal, I would say, is it okay if we talk about this? Are you open to some coaching on this? Are you willing to let me put, draw this out of you? But isn't that implied in the agreement when you do a coaching call with somebody? It's implied, but you hit a nerve sometimes when you jump in there without actually getting that permission. Now, if you're- Oh, I got it. So you're trying right? to diffuse the defensiveness. Yeah. Now, if I, like my clients who've been with me for a year or two, I don't have to do that as much because we're knee deep in rapport, right? Mm. But if we're not, and, and this is where if you're listening and you run a team of people, this is where you might have to look at how you're managing them or how you're leading them. 
because the, the classic high-powered manager comes in and says, here's what you're going to do, da 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 or here's what I want to see, X, Y, and Z, instead of, hey, can, can we talk about this for a second? You're really, really good at this. Uh, I've been on the other. I've been on the other end of this. I mean, we're having a conversation now, so people don't get to see your Freud. You're in a Freud coming out, but you really are great at this. How do you approach your first phone call you have with a coaching client? Well, there's a in my world pre-framing, framing, and post-framing. So, in other words, before I get on the phone with somebody, I want to set that call up for success, and I want to set that up to where they're going to get the most out of that. 45 minutes or an hour, sometimes two hours, right off the bat. So I send them a, a quick application and the answers are really strategic because the way they answer them helps me get to know what they're all about. So for instance, there's a question in there. It literally says, briefly describe yourself to me. Super simple, right? The language they use in their personal description will tell me almost everything I need to know about what they're bringing to the table. And I don't want to get sidetracked. What was your question exactly? No, no, no. Stay with that. I want to okay, keep, so, go, keep going so, with that, uh, that question on the application so, because it, what's in, uh, sorry, but what's interesting to me about the question is that you're looking to hear how they perceive themselves. Is that right? Exactly. So if they tell me I'm a family man who has just gotten away from what's important because my business has taken off, but I have no time left in the day for anything. And I feel tremendous pressure to provide for my family, but I just can't keep going anymore. And now I'm worried about what's going to happen. Right? Like I, now I can almost feel the stress and anxiety that he's experiencing. So my job is to figure out what's on the other side of that. In other words, identify the gap between where he is right now and where he really, really wants to be. So on that call, when we get on, I usually take the reins. I'm, I'm very driven and, and uh, assertive most of the time on those calls. And like you said, you know, I'm a little bit of a different animal on those coaching calls. But I usually take the reins and I say, look, look, we want to get somewhere today. In order to get somewhere, I need your permission to work with me. I'm going to identify your gaps. It's going to get uncomfortable. I need you to be real with me. Is that okay? And when you come out of the gate like that, usually knocks people around a little bit like, oh shit, this guy's serious, right? But it is serious. We're talking about your life here. We're talking about the future of your business, the welfare of your family. These are high stakes. So let's make the most out of it. So when do we you, get on, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, do you, do you uh, sometimes when you are maybe reading an application with beforehand or getting on the phone with them, do you sometimes have some preconceived notions like, okay, I know exactly where what the challenge is and I know how I'm going to go after this? Or have you trained yourself now to hold your natural biases back and just be in the moment like you described earlier and just kind of like allow it to flow the way it flows? Totally the latter. You know, okay. I, I mean, I'm human. I might have a, an impulse of judgment. And I've learned to immediately wrangle that and say, whoa, let's step back. The phrase is stay in curiosity, right? Because if I'm curious, I can't judge you. If I'm wondering why this is showing up, I don't have any judgment why it's there. It's just, I, I just want to get to the bottom of it, right? So I've, I've really learned to, and actually I got to credit Chris Harder for this because he was one of the first people who's like, I asked him what changed everything for him. One of my favorite questions for kind of celebrity people. 
And uh, he said it was when he learned to let go of judgment. So I've learned to really, really, really not just like say that and then go judge people like in my thoughts, like to really let go of all judgment. Now, like I said, there are still, I have triggers and I have like things in my personal life that if somebody tells me they did, I'm like, oh, you're a dick, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But then I have to wrangle that immediately. So yeah, in these conversations, I, I look for certain cues and I really what I'm looking for is a pattern over and over and over and over again. Because if, if we've got that pattern and we can demonstrate it, we can say there's probably something here we need to look at. What was your biggest challenge or hurdle that you had to overcome personally to be a better coach? Easily my divorce. I was like the, the CNN edition of this because I ended up telling the story to a group a, a couple weeks ago and, and we went down a, a train ride of an hour and a half of conversation about this. So the much, much shorter edition is as a kid, I found out my father was having an affair. And I thought, if I bring this to the light, I'm going to destroy my entire family. I'm one of four kids. My parents have been married for 25 years and I didn't want to be the one to destroy the family. So in confidence, I tell my brother and learn that this isn't the first time this has happened. And when he was a kid, he found out something similar and had to be quiet about it. And it really made him angry. And so together we told the family like what's going on and dad, you know, admitted it was true. And it, it was a clusterfuck. It was a a dumpster fire in terms of what families can go through. So for the next few years, you know, I hated my dad and I say few years, it was like nine years. (laughs) And it really scarred me because, you know, I watched so much pain and anguish for everybody as a kid. You know, when we look at traumatic events in our life, I I want you to understand that, yeah, compared to a lot of people, this is not that big of a deal. There are much worse things to happen in your life than what I experienced. But trauma is relative. You know, this was the worst thing that ever happened in my life at that point. And it really took a toll on me. It really shaped me and made me think, well, there's something I will never do will never cheat on somebody. I've seen how much pain and you know harm it creates. So over time I started, you know, I have a lot of friends and family. I'm lucky in that regard and unfortunately a lot of them experienced the same exact thing. So I watched for instance my sister go through this again and it just brought up everything over again and it's like why do people do this? This is like the worst thing that somebody can do to their loved one, to their partner. So it just kind of was this monkey on my back. Like I think everybody's got their kryptonite, right? So um, started dating in college and everything and got real serious with this woman and turned out, you know, I was going to be the guy that didn't get cheated on or I didn't cheat on anybody. I was going to have that relationship. So for everybody that knew us, we were like the poster couple, the power couple, right? It's like these kids have it figured out. They're so in love. Everything is so awesome. And you can probably tell where the story is going. <laughs> Not really, because it can go a couple of different ways. How did they, how did they, who cheated on who? She cheated on me. She cheated on you. Okay. Yeah. So, and I, so do, do you believe that there was an, that you attracted that in your life because you were, you know, you were to use the uh, Tony Robbins metaphor, you were, you were coming around the track, looking at the guardrail saying, don't hit the guardrail. I really can't say I didn't. There's no way I can't say I didn't do that because I was overcompensating in so many ways to to make sure she was happy. I was never needy or anything like that, 
but I was so accommodating that it, that she just got really comfortable, I think. And it, there wasn't that like chase feel anymore. And there's no way I can speak for her. We, we haven't spoken since we got divorced. So I have no idea in the long run, all the whys and all the hows. But I, I do know that it was the worst thing that I, I could have gone through. And in hindsight, it was one of the greatest gifts that could have been given to me. Yeah, because you got hot mango now. That's right. That's right. I wouldn't. And and honestly, this is the crazy thing I've learned from it is to see his, these... his uh, fiance is uh, named Lindsay Mango, and uh, <laughs> she's uh, she's a supermodel and just a bundle of energy and love and a wonderful human being. And everybody should get to know her. Thanks for that, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, and that's all true. She's pure light. You know, it's impossible to answer the question I'm about to ask you completely or accurately. But do you believe that if you had a coach at that time that you would have, quote, prevented that cheating from happening because you would have had more self-awareness about what was going on? Because, you know, look, cheating is one of those things where, you know, it's not this, it's, I think it's very often misunderstood that, you know, somebody's just trying to deliberately hurt you. There's something going on with them. There's something going on with the relationship, right? So, do you think a coach would have helped you? Well, I, in a way, I had a coach. I was in a mindset and sales coaching class that went on once a week, like all day Mondays. And so, and this was the second or third time I was taking that class. And it's very heavy on mindset. So I, I had a coach. And and this is for anybody um, who is at a, like a hard point in their life. This is what I want you to kind of latch on to that. There was no way, no matter what I did, I don't think it would have mattered because her reality was so ugly at the time. She had made up this story that I didn't care about her and that that all the things I was doing were to chase dollars and I was all about money when that, that was not at all true. I mean, I was driven, but I wasn't driven by money. I just, you know, whatever. At, at the end of the day, what I'm saying though is this: the course was set and... We even talked about it, you know, a couple of times before we our divorce was final that she said in so many words, it wouldn't have mattered what you did. This was, I was going to do this. So I don't think a coach could have preempted that. And in fairness, a couple of friends were like, man, you guys are spending, she was really into triathlons and I'm not a triathlete. I, you know, I love being active and outdoors, but running, biking, and swimming are pretty much the three things I don't want to do. <laughs> and, uh, so I wasn't doing much, if any of that, with her. And she was training for triathlons constantly. So my friends were like, man, you guys are spending a lot of time apart. Is it okay? I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. You know, we're, we're just kind of in our lanes for a season. It's not a big deal. And a coach probably would have asked the same things. And also, in fairness, I, I saw some patterns popping up. And I was starting to grow my coaching acumen. So I was asking questions like, can we get into counseling? Because it doesn't seem like things are right. You know, we were getting into fights and I was sleeping on the couch and I was like, this has never happened before in our relationship. What is going on? She was explosive. You know, I would say one thing and boom, it would just trigger a huge fight. And I was doing what I've seen a lot of guys in business do, buffering with business. Buffering meaning instead of getting in here and fixing it, I would just go back to work, sell a house or two, right? It's a lot better than going home and getting yelled at. So it started, this, this course was kind of set in motion. And this is why we start coaching calls with that question of what do you really want? 
because you're going to move in line and in alignment with that, right? She didn't want to repair the relationship and it wouldn't have mattered what a coach told me to do. This is really, really interesting. How are things different for you now in your relationship and what did you do to heal? You you mentioned therapy. So the therapy, I'm sure, quote unquote, healed some of the, uh, you know, the initial scarring and helped you sort of like navigate maybe, you know, your side of that street. But how are you different in this relationship and how do you avoid repeating the same pattern? Well, even my therapist was like, you are accelerated. Everything you do, you want to do like the best way possible in the shortest amount of time. She's like, how is, and, and we had a good relationship at the time, right? So she could kind of call me out on that. And she's like, how did this affect your relationship? And I said, well, you know, I, I really took my time thinking this was the right woman. So I don't think I, I rushed things, but I learned that I was kind of a control freak. And and the weird thing is, the way I showed up in my relationship, I, I wasn't controlling. I wasn't jealous, but I did. I, I wanted to to have my hands on kind of everything to make sure it was the best way possible. And what I've learned, and I'm still learning to do, is to just let go. And when I let go the most, the best things in my life pop up. So after I got out of therapy, I think I'd only took like 10 or 15 sessions. After I got out of therapy, I started dating again after a while and people were like, oh, it's too soon. And I was like, guys, I don't think you understand. Like I'm, I've learned a lot. I've learned about letting this go and that not every, I think this was a big piece of it. Learning that A, the right person wouldn't do this to me or you know, even consider it. So clearly this wasn't the right woman for me. And once I made peace with that, it was like, okay, now I can start kind of letting her go and looking for the woman who would not do that to me. So that was a big part of it. And, and then just kind of learning, uh, you know, when you're dating, it's like, oh my gosh, it's, this sucks. I didn't want to start dating again. <laughs> well, you and, I, you and I share this in common and I won't go into it in this episode because the, the, uh, the story which you and I can talk about offline and everybody else will just have to figure this out when I decide that I want to share this publicly, but I was cheated on as well. And I was at a uh, Tony Robbins event and um, I had the, uh, the good fortune of spending some time with uh, Tony's wife uh, at the time, Sage. And she knew me and my then wife. And when I came back to see her again at a later time, she asked me where she was. And I, I told her you know, that we separated. She goes, oh my God, what happened? And I told her and she said, oh, that's, that's great. I'm like, that's great. Why is that great? She said, because your soulmate would never cheat on you. And, and I was like, what do you mean? She said, well, if she was your soulmate, that would never happen. She would never have cheated on you. And I don't know whatever that reason was, but that gave me solace. That gave mm -hmm. me peace yeah. of mind. There was something in that simple sentence that was so truthful to me that somebody that truly was my soulmate, truly was meant for me, would never do that. It just wouldn't happen. And uh, so anybody who finds themselves, you know, who are list who's listening to the show finds himself in a situation like that where they're like, yeah, but you don't know what she did or you don't know what he did. And th th I just, you know, I just really believe that your soulmate wouldn't do that to you. You know what I mean? And, and I, man, I relate so much because I remember feeling relief when she said something similar to what Sage said and thinking, actually, she, she taught the therapist is who I'm talking about. She taught me that 
this saying that everything is temporary. Mm. So even your pain is temporary, but that also means you really need to celebrate what's great because that's temporary too. And it gave me a whole new perspective of like, I, I will not say enjoying my pain because <laughs> it wasn't fun at all, any second of it, but just trusting that this, I know everybody says this too shall pass, but when you're in the middle of it, you don't want to hear that, right? But but tying it to that even the good stuff, the great stuff is temporary as well, makes you really get rooted in gratitude, which shifts your entire state. So well, I, I knew I knew this was going to happen, that I was going to run out of time uh, for <laughs> yeah. you. And yeah. I, I've gotten to 50% of what I wanted to ask you. So that's okay. We'll have to save that for a round two. Um, but what I want to do just for the sake of time is I'm going to move into our rapid fire round. And so Perfect. answer as quickly or as slowly as you like. It's basically a first thing that comes to mind rounds. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Asking really tough questions. Um, <laughs> As your friend, I would say that that is correct. Is that right? Okay, so we're on we're on track there. I tend to get what I want out of life and business. I, I've learned to not really settle. I think, as I say that, I'm looking at the ocean from my house now, where we just moved. So, I, I think I've just gotten kind of a reputation of I won't say a diva, but it's just like if I really set my mind to something, it's going to happen. <laughs> What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Oh, good question. I haven't thought about that in a while. I think wasting my potential is kind of a, a monkey on my back. What uh, keeps you up at night? Nothing, really. <laughs> okay, that's good. What yeah. do people never ask you, but you wish they did? Well done, Rob. I don't have a, a good answer, which means I have to actually think about it. Hmm. Okay. What is the one thing that you want to get better at? Creating a breakthrough for someone else faster. I think there's always a way to do it faster. And if I can close their gap in 15 minutes instead of 50, uh, I want to know how to do that. What book have you reread the most? The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. I thought you were going to say that. What yeah, is your right. guilty pleasure? Gummy, like the uh, fruit gummy snacks and not the California kind, just the regular. <laughs> you, just by the way, the, you know what I love about this question? This is one of those questions where every single person gives me a different answer when it comes to the guilty pleasure question because I ask it of, of everybody and I love hearing the answers. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's a, a really lighthearted way to get to know somebody. I like it. What is one thing that you own and probably should throw out, but never will? My dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I usually hear a stuffed animal. Wow, right. okay. If you had to give a TED talk, not actually a real animal, I just actually put two and two together there. If you had to give a TED talk on nothing that you're known for, nothing that you speak about, so we're taking coaching off the table, real estate off the table, law off the table, it could be on anything that you have a passion for, what would it be? I think, and, and probably because you and I have talked about this, the fun of tasting new and exotic foods and drinks. I think there is something dynamic that happens in your brain that, that connects your whole body and physical self to tasting something 
really tremendous, whether it's a, a bourbon or a wine or a new type of sushi or something like that. I think it's it's definitely a hobby of mine and it's just so much fun to to kind of play in. All right, last question. We're going to change things up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? If you could dissolve all of your fear and stress, what bold decision would you make today? The answer that I don't want to say, so I'm going to say it, is open my heart more. So here's the really fun part. If that's the case, and it totally jumped into coach mode, so I didn't get permission here, but if you were to give me permission, the question I would ask would be, would be, what's the one step you need to take to do that? To be conscious of it. To be, because I think, I, I think that there are thousands of opportunities that we have throughout the day to lead with our heart and to do things that are more heart-centered. And I think for, for myself, as I get busier and have lots of things going on, that my intention is to become more efficient in what it is that I'm doing. And very often it is in that efficiency in me accomplishing something or attempting to accomplish something, I will discount things that I know that my heart should be paying more attention to, like picking up the phone, calling mom, spending a half hour on the phones, you know, because my dad passed last year or two years ago, and seeing how she's doing. But, you know, I'll often look and say, oh my God, I got so many things going on. I need to, I need to get this handled. But yet it's on my heart and I know I should be doing it. So I would say paying attention. Yeah, being present in that, that moment and actually feeling it, right? Yeah. Instead of just doing what our habit is, which is to dismiss it and say, no, I got better things to do. Well, judging from that last question, everybody listening knows that this dude is a really freaking good coach. So do you have Thank any, fun? you're welcome, any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? I think I do have an ask. And it's because so many people don't know what the type of coaching I do looks like. I want to invite them to have that kind of conversation. And honestly, I don't care if it's with me or if it's with another type of coach, because once you start looking into what kind of coach would I hire, you are attracted to the right type of person. And I am not for everybody. I'm a little too brash for some people. I'm a little too conservative for some people. So I just want you to start and engage in finding somebody to look at your blind spots and open the doors of what's possible for you. Because don't get me wrong, you don't necessarily need a coach. You're probably fine. But if you want to get there faster with less stress and you want to compress the time that it takes for you to achieve that goal, why not at least have a conversation about it? So that's that's what I'm fired up about lately. I've, there's only two ways to work with me right now, and that's one-on-one and in my new mastermind. So whether they want to get into one of those kind of relationships with me or with another coach, just start looking because you don't know what you're wasting. I absolutely love that. And I am going to encourage you to do a podcast where you do live on the air coaching. I have a friend, Christine Hassler. Do you know who she is? I do. Christine Hassler does uh, for the podcast One Network. She does live coaching on the air and she's really, really good at it. And I would love to I, for one, as they say, would love to hear a male presence in that space because I think you'd be beautiful at at, uh, at live coaching. So maybe we can talk about that. Done. I'm I'm willing to commit to that. That sounds all like- right. 
Awesome, because I think I think there's a lot of coaches who would love to hear how you do what you do, and I think there were a lot of I think there are a lot of people who can learn by asking themselves a lot of the questions that you ask. So your uh, your toolbox is amazing. So thank you so much for taking the time. We will link up uh, in the show notes for how everybody can get a hold of you and um, coach with you directly. Thank you, brother. I appreciate the opportunity and, and really am grateful for the time. All right, thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.